you know, 20 years ago, I couldn't have done what I did in a small town like this one, but today I can. Yeah, that's been a dramatic. That's been a dramatic game changer, right? I may have, if I had had the tools uh, 25 years ago, maybe I'd never left, but yeah. I didn't, right? Welcome back to Invest in Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. I am, of course, your host with the most Phil Better, and this is the season finale episode. And what an episode we have for you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Dom Einhorn, the OG digital marketer who turned into an angel investor. And now he runs the largest rural startup incubator accelerator in the world, Unicorn. Um, we talk about everything from his start to where he is now and how he ended up buying a rugby team and create changing the philosophy of it he calls it his 110 year old startup and my god guys there is so much knowledge packed into this so i'm going to stop talking and let you guys listen to dom einhorn i'm going to give you this time just give us a, a quick introduction about yourself and then we'll jump into your story so i'm dom einhorn thanks for having me on the show phil uh pleasure pleasure meeting you as well I uh, was born and raised in France. I'm half French, half German. In my earlier years, 1993, I moved to the U.S. to start a digital marketing agency. Uh, came back to France in 2018, a little over two and a half years ago, to launch uh, Unicorn Incubator Accelerator, which uh, assists uh, seed stage and post-seed stage startups succeed. Uh, in my earlier years, again, uh, early 90s, uh, I built the actual first online art auction, which was an interesting uh, experiment uh, because at that time, uh, I had a number of artists slash starving artists as clients. Uh, actually, the only artists I really knew were all starving for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they all had one thing in common. They came to me and said, hey, Dom, because I am a starving artist, would you be willing to take uh, some of my work in lieu of compensation? And since uh, I've been a very you know, an avid art collector from a very early, early, early age, I said, I said, yes. Always been fascinated by art because I can draw a hammer. So yeah, it was always uh, fascinating feel, to me. <laughs> Stick figures are probably the closest I get to artistic talent. Uh, um, uh, same here, same here. So I would look at some of that that work and was just blown away, you know, just by the sheer beauty and the skill. And made a lot of friends with a lot of artists and said, "Look, you know, let's let's see if we can do something together." Uh, we started in the very early stages promoting it on news groups because for those of you who are old enough to be around uh, at that time, you know, there was no such thing as the World Wide Web prior to 94, 95, yeah. Netscape 1.0, Mark Andreessen, who now runs Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, you know, no browsers around, uh, no navigators, uh, whatever you would call them today. So we had to be scrappy, uh, adjust on the fly, uh, some promotions on bulletin boards, uh, later on news groups. And then at one point in time, when the web arrived, I think we did, Built the first online, uh, the first version of the online art auction on Netscape 1.0, and I guess I was a starving web entrepreneur at that point in time. Uh, the easiest way to describe me: assisting starving artists, not necessarily the ideal combination. Starving <laughs> uh, people working together is going to find money. Trust me. You know, it, 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 we were just more people being hungry, right? Mm. But at the end of the day, I received a phone call one, uh, one day from a very prominent uh, American magazine 
I saw what you did, find it amazing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they came and interviewed me. And uh, a week later, I had 30,000 bidders on the uh, starving uh, website, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it, from one day to another, we were in the business of just representing artists, getting a little bite here and there from collectors to being overwhelmed in terms of ratio between buyers and sellers. Uh, nice. And, you know, Overnight, we were also in this amazing business of having to fulfill art. We had no idea what we were doing. Clearly, we were all in our early 20s at that time. Uh, we didn't know how to insure art, right? So we would send off stuff under glass, would break, get the complaint, uh, but at scale now, yeah. right? So think, think stuff going wrong, but at scale. Right. This is really what happened. Not one or two a week. It's like one or two an hour now. You're going. No, out. we were packing up. We were packing up stuff at 4:30 in the morning, trying to scramble, and then the girl would take it. Uh, all wheel it, wheel it to the. Fortunately, the post office wasn't too far. Little wheeler, you know, like yeah. uh, Amazon. No, Amazon 0.1. <laughs> right. <laughs> you helped Amazon show how to do it properly. That's what you guys did. That Bezos and, was watching you. <laughs> I remember just like uh, sweating blood and tears. And then one day we get a call from a very prominent uh, online art auction uh, off making us an offer to buy us out. Wow. And it was a welcome relief because we were just scrambling like you wouldn't believe. Victims of our own success, the artists ended up being very happy. They, we later on helped them all merge onto, onto eBay. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time where eBay was primarily selling Beanie Babies, if you remember yeah. those times. Uh, so art was a novel concept, but for example, we had one artist that had a limited edition of uh, 1500 prints and they sold out in an afternoon in the early, Jeez. in the very early innings. Uh, novelty factor had something to do with that too, because I think he was one of, if not the first artist painter with limited edition prints on the site. And uh, people were randomly searching for his stuff. At one point in time it was on the front page, you know, post Beanie Baby stage and uh, people were just eating it up. So early foray into that sold out. And then we heavily, you know, went into customer acquisition mm -hmm. as a digital agency in the travel space and in the financial services space. And we did that for the better part of 15 years. Uh, 1999, I started a finance site called Born to Invest with the number two which is still very much active today, uh, has sister apps. The Android app has about 250,000, 300,000 downloads. The wow. iOS app, about 50,000. And in more recent years, last six to eight years, I've gone from you know assisting startups uh, to actually becoming an, an angel investor. You know, So it's interesting because I think there is a gap in the market between startup entrepreneurs and investors, and I call it the expectation gap. Mm -hmm. uh, startup entrepreneurs are broadcasting on FM, the investors are listening to AM, right? So, and they just know, don't know what to expect from either side. They use different language and terminology typically, right? And it's very hard for them to communicate. That's, that's one thing, that's one problem we're looking to solve in Unicorn. The other problem, pre-COVID now, is when we made the proactive decision to move away from a big city, in my case, Los Angeles, and go back home to France, I wouldn't leave Los Angeles to go to Paris, right? right. I, knew, 
I knew with my wife, we said, look, this is a lifestyle first decision. And we said, let's take six to eight months. We visited 54 medium-sized cities to small cities. And we settled on Sala, S-A-R-L-A-T in the southwest of France, two hours east of Bordeaux. And we fell in love with it. Uh, we actually had a secret list that we made for each other. And uh, when we unveiled the list to each other, Sala was number one. We didn't have to look beyond that. That was interesting. That's that's uh, amazing. Yeah, and then we were, you know, American saying is the pioneers take the arrows, the settlers take the gold, right? So mm -hmm. we certainly took all of the arrows, uh, but we stuck around long enough where we slowly started to become the settlers as well. We didn't, the arrows didn't kill us, right? So today we are roughly inside of Unicorn, we're roughly 30 people hailing from 17 different nationalities. Uh, all over the place. Uh, that's the local town. I'd never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. Right, small town of nine thousand people during the year. Three million tourists a year. Interesting dynamic there as well. Yeah. Uh, not so much so this year because of COVID, but we did have a heavy influx of uh, French citizens going south from big cities like Paris, uh, Lille from the north, mm -hmm. Strasbourg northeast to come visit. And we're attracting, we've become a, a magnet uh, for European startups so far, several American startups who want to relocate away from the big cities into a smaller town where you can actually go work hard during the day and go river rafting in the afternoon, rock climbing, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Amazing gastronomy for those of you who like to, love to eat. Right. I know a few of those guys. Uh, obviously, I'm one of those guys. I'm a, I'm a big guy, so uh, if there's good food, you 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 already sold me on it. Um, yeah. So this is France, and this you know this is actually as French as it gets. It's as authentic French as you as you will find. It's a medieval town. It's been around for 1,200 years. When they filmed Luc Besson's Joanne of Arc, which mm -hmm. was filmed right here in Bensala, the only thing they did take the cars out. Everything else stayed the same. Wow, that's the that's... literally what they did. You walk into, you guys can, you can Google it again, S-A-R-L-A-T, Google it, look at the images. I think you'll agree with me. It's an amazing town. Yeah, I, I Googled it uh, when you, you first booked with me and I was like, I, I fell in love because I, I, I'm in Montreal. I lived most of my life in the suburbs of Montreal on the North shore of Quebec, but visiting downtown Montreal, like if you go into the old port, it, you kind of go back in time to not... 12,000 years, like, yep. <laughs> sorry a lot, but you still go back at least into still just before or just after the navigation part of the, the time frame. And it's, it's a nice retreat. And I feel there's a lot more people, my generation wanting to get out of the city because we grew up in the city and the hustle and bustle. And we want to go back to something that's more simpler. So I think you're going to see people not just go to the suburbs, but to more, traditional laid back ways of life that's been nearly the same for the last like 7,000 years pretty much you know so I really like seeing that you you saw that trend and you're like well I'm just gonna create an atmosphere that's gonna help not only the local economy but future entrepreneurs like myself. It's very much the case and uh, I've been to Montreal many times I have a lot of friends there you know it's when I go over there it's I feel like I'm in Brittany Right, hmm. especially down by the port. Similar type of food, you know. A lot of lot of French people go to Montreal, vice versa. Uh, people from Quebec coming to France, obviously, we have the same DNA, right? So hmm. there's something there that sticks. 
But to your point of being able to move away into what you would call a more rural area, we actually, when we started out, uh, we started out in one building, roughly 300 square meters, a little over 3,000 square feet for the Americans listening in. Uh, and now we're in the process of actually building out uh, 35,000 square foot of space uh, right across the street from us. And the interesting thing is there, we took over the old unemployment office and we're taking, which is a medieval, medieval building. Yeah. Uh, and we're basically replacing it with employment, right? With, mm. uh, with projects, with startups. And what's happened is pretty, pretty interesting. We had roughly, we haven't actively marketed as of yet, I should say, uh, because we had a lot of you know, people who knew me personally, who knew the team, et cetera, who, who came down and uh, wanted to work with us. Uh, we also have a, very soon, a first uh, public market exit with our Ooh. first incub in the ARVR space. So when that happens, I assume it's going to get make some make some noise. You let me but, know, and we'll release this episode very soon, as soon as it happens, so that we can you can get the buzz as well. That'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great. It's a company called XR Applied. Uh, you know uh, that we started working with. It's actually being was incorporated in the building I'm talking to you from. Wow. Right? So. The seed, the seed is here. Uh, Ten months ago, during COVID, right, early innings of co early innings of COVID, and uh, it's just grown by leaps and bounds. Uh, the delta between the last money raised last week and first money raised uh, back in March or so is 100 to one. So interesting, you know, interesting dynamic. But you know, maybe we just get lucky, right? You just never know. Hey, but just uh, unlucky uh, roll of the dice like you. Uh, true, true, yeah, true. But you know, it, it if I go back, you know, pre-COVID, I'd say we would get 10, 15 bytes from startups inquiring with us every single day. And today, a bad day is 50. A average day is 100. That's on the startup side. Then we also have a lot of angel investors that uh, are, you know, are interested in the fact that we've been clearly been able to demonstrate that it is cheaper to operate from where we are and tends to be a lot more efficient right you don't have to be a rocket scientist you know so for example if you're in los angeles like i was and i'd spend three or four hours on the on the on the highway or the freeway every single day and then over here it takes me five minutes to walk across the street to get to work right uh you know so if i have for example i brought back two of my best panamanian uh engineers i used to be in panama at an office there between 2006 2009 and they would commute one way every day, three hours to get to the office and three hours back home at night. So six hours wasted. Today, they walk to the office 200 yards, they drop off the kids at school and they pick them up on the way home, right? They're, they're like, look at me like, oh my, I can't even believe it. Like the, the jump in quality of life, right? Yeah. The air, air squeaky clean. We have the second cleanest river in Europe called the Dordogne River right, right down the street, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of work-life balance, there's a, a, a significant improvement. And then if you're looking at the type of startups that are popping up a little bit everywhere, they all have, you know, a flavor of sustainability, impact investing, uh, clean tech, et cetera, et cetera. So we've become a magnet for those types of uh, startups as well. That's, that's amazing. And I think with like, your generation, um, since you are obviously somewhat old, older than me, you're probably around my father's age. Um, 
your generation was about building the infrastructures in the big cities and living that really hustle, hustle, hustle lifestyle. Whereas the generations like my generation, Gen, uh, Gen X and the future generations, they're looking for the more happier side of quality of life to have a like, cause they remember their parents not being home because they're, they were out building the lifestyles for us to enjoy where now we want to go back to that more simpler life by going where it's 200 yards to work. Yeah, no question. I mean, look, I'm in my 50s now, but when I was when I was in LA in my 20s, you know, there's no question that I probably wouldn't have made that choice today myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved away. I moved over there, and then I moved over here, right back over here. But I do see the opposite trend today from people in their 20s that have grown up in big cities. Uh, you know, Paris being one of them, London, et cetera, et cetera. Sky high rents hustle and bustle all over the place you know relative inefficiency as well that would that, that comes with it so if you think that the you know the internet you know was built to basically democratize and demonetize everything that we're touching uh you know 20 years ago i couldn't have done what i did in a small town like this one but today i can yeah, that's been a dramatic that's been a dramatic game changer right i may have if i had had the tools uh, 25 years ago, maybe I'd never left, but yeah. it didn't, right? It, yeah, it, and that's like the the great thing about the internet that has happened, and a lot of people are now able to become entrepreneurs because they can be, get the real estate to create their online store. They can create an art place. Like a lot of artists are no longer being that starving artist because they are able to get the real estate in online, and then just through Facebook now, it's they can expedite that and they there's no more starving artists so we can go back into the creativity that engineers and digital marketers like yourself have paved before us yeah that's a good point uh because if i think about just thinking back when you said like a lot of people are able to start businesses today it brings me back to another point the cost of actually launching a business and going back to the idea that everything is rapidly being democratized and demonetized uh, if I ever think back to 1998, for example, I remember opening up my web hosting bill. Now, keep in mind that at that time I was usually roughly 800 times less bandwidth than I'm using today. Right, but my bill was 8,000 US a month, and just for just bandwidth, oh, God. for using 800 times 800 times less. That's one example. Then, if you're looking at launching a website today, it's plug and play. Right. Mm-hmm. In my days, in the in the late 90s, now. If you needed to have maintain a database, you had one option. That was an Oracle database. One server license would set you back $32,000 US. We had three at that point in time. So just to get started on anything, right? If you had raised less, forget about payroll, taxes, or anything else. If you had raised anything less than a half a million, you would even think about it. It's impossible, right? And today, all the services are free. Right, so you can you can start a website for free. Your bandwidth is next to three. No people don't even talk about bandwidth cost anymore. Right? It's, now unlimited. it's unlimited, like because it's it's pointless with like thanks to people uh, companies like Google and Amazon that invest so heavily in their infrastructure to make it cheaper for us. And then the other thing I think that's really happening right now, which is very exciting to me, is like you have projects like OneWeb or Elon Musk's Starlink, which will bring online the last mile of 2 billion people who are disconnected, who will be coming online over the next 12 to 18 months as a result of those technologies. 
So you have 2 billion incremental minds that will be connecting to the cloud and to the internet and will actively participate in the resolution of services, of, of problems, right? Yeah. So imagine the combined sheer power of what that will represent, right? All of humanity within the next 18 months being finally connected. Very few not being remaining disconnected. People in the Amazon rainforest will have blazing speed internet access thanks to Starlink, right? Yeah. It, it will be, in my mind, it will be an absolute game changer in terms of uh, progress as, think, as, as humanity. Oh yeah, I think COVID also, as bad as it was, also was an accelerator for that as well. Because no question. Because there's so many people now going online, becoming business owners and taking, seeing how easy it is that now, <clears throat> pardon me, I think we're going to see also a lot of startups and new angel investors being, because they're becoming affiliate marketers or making millions of dollars there or being digital marketers like you, uh, you were a pioneer of. They're learning that now and they're making millions and soon they're going to be going over into the angel investing because they see what benefit it has. So by you pretty much creating this startup incubator, you're also, again, ahead of the curve. I think, I think what, you, what you'll see post-COVID, and that I couldn't agree with you more than with what you just said, is that as a result of COVID, now, of course, we all mourn the heavy human loss, mm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what you will see, especially in places like France, where some people in the population were just reluctant, afraid of jumping into the digital space, right? You have some people who just philo philosophically did not agree with that. Right. I want to read my physical book. I want to be able to hold it. Right. Nothing wrong with that. I understand. Everyone said, well, I'd like to do that as well. Oh, yeah. But what I say that, especially in terms of bureaucracy, right, of people having to physically go down, down to the town hall, right, to pick up the driver's license instead of digitally retrieving it. And now they're in a position for the first time ever where they cannot do that. They have no choice but to go through the internet to order food, to order anything, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they realize, oh my God, I was afraid of something that is actually improving my life, mm -hmm. right? The number of people that I've had to come to me, business people who said, wow, I had never used Zoom before. I never used Microsoft Teams. I never used Google Meet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This thing is amazing. And then coming back and telling me, I'm not sure what, why I used to fly across the country to just meet my people when I can just see them online and just work as efficiently. I'll never do that again. So you'll have some fundamental, fundamental shifts in the, in the landscape, in the economic landscape, and all of them tend to improve lifestyle and more, more than anything, improve productivity, right? And reduce our carbon footprint at the same time. Right, we're seeing that, for example, with the travel, uh, you know, with travel right now. Uh, I'm not so bullish about the big rebound in the travel space because I think if we had been stopped by COVID for two or three weeks, I'd say sure, we're just going to bounce right back. Yeah. But for example, in France, we're literally in our third confinement right now, right? And it's been going on for a year, right? So now it's been so long that you will create fundamental behavioral shifts in all of us and we're not going to bounce back to anywhere what we thought it would be and it's a good thing mm -hmm. right because if you can if you can do let's assume we had to meet for some reason right and we're like okay let's meet halfway in the middle of the ocean somewhere right because you're in montreal and i'm yeah. on the west coast of france uh, in iceland right let's meet in iceland and okay let's assume we had done that for the last five six years you know once every month you know 
And then we realized, oh my God, we can't, we're not allowed to, the planes are not flying. And we discovered this thing called uh, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, any kind of web conferencing solution. And like, what the heck did we do, right? Yeah. Why? Well, I can actually share stuff with you as easily as handing it to you. It's actually faster, right? Take a look at this. You know, I can have WhatsApp open or another productivity tool over open, right? File sharing, screen sharing, et cetera, et cetera. We will never do that again, right? Yeah. But again, the only reason why this is happening right now is because people just had no choice but to. It's yeah, it was it was COVID was kind of needed for the technical shift so that we can go into a more sustainable lifestyle. <clears throat> um, and I think it's also weeding out the negativity that's been in the world that's been brewing since like with social media and that um, it's because people didn't really understand how the algorithm really worked. And we're finally looking into, OK, this is maybe problematic. Maybe we should start. Putting, not censoring it, but like having a bit more control before it gets out of hand. Because previous generations, when they think of AI, they were thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the Terminator and that. And now with AI, yeah. we forget that we have weaknesses. So we need to watch out for those being thrown back in our faces. Yeah, I, you know, obviously I had a discussion about AI a few days ago on another show, on a radio show. And, uh, you know, basically what my, my take on it is that people are mostly scared of what they call runaway AI. It's, it's basically the running man version, right? The Schwarzenegger version of, of the one that's going to come and kill you. And, you know, and I think there's a fundamental uh, mistake that people make when they discuss AI is that they believe that on one side you have us humans and then you have our big opponent adversary that's been an infant so far and it's rapidly growing out, becoming stronger and stronger and stronger, the AI, and eventually it's gonna run away from us ideally, or maybe it may turn around like in the Terminator case and actually exterminate us, yeah. right? The reason why that line of thinking is fundamentally flawed in my opinion is because AI and humanity are quickly merging and becoming one. Mm -hmm. So there you don't have one on one side and humans on one side, et cetera, right? Humans becoming couch potatoes and then the AI becoming super intelligent, right? For those of you who have pacemakers, you have AI inside your body. And if, you know, for some early adopters, you've had it for 20 or 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. And thanks to that, you know, it improved your life. You can actually survive. Technology always is a double-edged sword. You can use it to save the world. You can use it to kill everybody, right? That's the double-edged sword that we have to be aware of. But here, what we're experiencing especially if you believe in the singularity, which ultimately uh, the, the idea behind the singularity is that over the next 10 to 15 years, humanity and technology will merge into one yeah. and become one. I'm a strong believer in that. I'm a strong believer of uh, what Ray Kurzweil has been predicting for many, many years, usually with extreme accuracy, thinking 30, 40 years ahead of us, mm -hmm. that it's going to be here to improve our lives. Yes, we're going to have ups and downs, but if we look back over the last thousand years, how we've been using and leveraging technology, it's been to the benefit of mankind overall, yeah. you know, aside from the wars, uh, and even wars, maybe there is a case to be made that would say that because weapons have become so powerful, take nuclear weapons, that we're actually not using them anymore because we know the damage that we'll be, that we'll be doing. Yeah. So it's a great dissuasive effect, right? We, we can't use the weapons because we're going to kill everybody. Hence, we're not going to do it, including us. Yeah. Because it's going to come right back at us, so we're going to be exterminated as well, right? And thank God we didn't have world war for the last uh, 80 years, right, or, or, or so. 
So I see that as, 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 as progress. I see humanity working with embracing technology now that we get to understand it better, right? Think of what we would have done without technology during COVID. Well, so many businesses not much. So many, one, so many businesses would have been out of business because they would like restaurants because we can't visit them. The delivery services like Uber and Uber Eats and that would never have been around. Um, we would be fundamentally bored because we don't have streaming services to keep us entertained. For sure. Artists would be, actors and that would be completely out of money because theaters would be closed, movie productions. So if we didn't have these technologies, we one, we would be very bored. It'd be the dark ages all over again because we no question. don't have that connectivity that we need. Yeah, I mean, think of it, you know, people asking you to stay home because of COVID, right? And you're able, if, if you stay at home and you watch Netflix, you're today, you're a hero, mm-hmm. right? 80 years ago, you were in the battlefield bleeding to death. That's, that was the definition of a hero. Today, you're saving lives by being laying on your couch and watching a favorite movie. Right now, Things have changed lives. dramatically. Having this interview, one, we're saving carbon footprint because of one, neither one of us have to fly to Iceland or one to the other side. Uh, we, we, we're saving ourselves and saving our, our social bubble because we're not interacting. There's not, no risk of contradict, uh, contracting any viruses or spreading the virus any further than just us. And we're gaining so much knowledge because you're passing knowledge of your life and the struggles and the, the, your future thoughts. Since you were a digital pioneer, your thoughts are very valuable. So I thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing with my guests, uh, with my audience, but you're increasing awareness of this other side of being an angel investor. Hey, if you have money, you can help the next generation build the next best business. So it's all positivity. Yeah. And yeah, on that note, I think on, on the angel investing side, you see dramatic shift as well. You see the, the ability of quickly being to identify a promising startup much faster. Again, I, I, I've been sitting on both sides of the, uh, the desk, right? Yeah. So in, your, in my early stages, I was pitching investors, not pitching me. But, you know, when I'm being pitched, I always remind the pitcher, look, not too long ago, I was you, right? So I can give them advice on how to pitch, et cetera, et cetera. Because especially, especially when you go with engineers who have sometimes very bright ideas, they're not necessarily the best communicators, right? Like, don't, don't talk to me like you're an Excel spreadsheet, right? So try motion, give me, you know, some passion, show me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And my mind has become very, very binary problem solution, right? So don't invent a problem to create a solution for it, right? There's Mm -hmm. plenty of problems around for you that you can resolve as an entrepreneur, but don't invent them out of thin air, right? Because you see a lot of that as well, because it's, it's so easy now to create any business and to follow your passion. Make sure your passion is directed towards the resolution of a problem that affects a lot of people, right? For those of you who want to become a billionaire, a very simple rule, help a billion people and the rest will happen automatically, yeah. right? So think of your, so some people call it a moonshot, right? What is your crazy idea, right? But what is going to be the ultimate impact of that crazy idea on other people's lives? Forget about yours because it's if it's, highly positive on other people's lives, you'll make more money than you ever dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. Even if you don't have even figured out how to monetize yet, we have so many examples of that, right? So when Twitter launched, when Google launched, when Facebook launched, they didn't even have a business model. 
right? No. They had to invent, artificially invent a business model to bolt on to their business. All they wanted to do is connect people, right? In the case of Facebook or Twitter, and in the case of Google, basically make everything searchable and create a verb to Google, but no way of making money, right? At that point, at one point in time, when you're burning through so much cash and you get the pressure from your investors, hey guys, it's not nice being around, but maybe it's time to start figuring out how we're going to make some money here, right? So this was artificially bolted on to the general business, but there was no business model to begin with. They even said so. It's it, yeah, and it, it's amazing to think think that like as long as you create something that's you're passionate about, as you said, money will come. Help people, and that will help you. And I've noticed that with my podcast, as I've been podcasting, I've been connecting guests that I have with other podcasts that I've guested on because that helps build everyone else's business as a podcast. Because I look at podcasting as a business. This is a business because I wanted to make money and I want to help people. That's my main goal, to help people learn to be an entrepreneur because I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And yeah, I mean, bottom line is if you're helping people, you deserve to get paid. Bottom line, right? I mean, there's a big stigma always with some entrepreneurs that I see about making money, right? Like they're a little shy about, oh my God, shouldn't be making money. It's a bad thing, you know? I grew up with that Catholic guilt, right? You, 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 throw, you throw your coin into the little basket, you don't take one out, right? It's always one way, right? But at one point in time, look, the reason why when you're taking an airplane and the captain comes on and says, in case, in the unlikely case, of a problem, make sure you to secure your mask first before your children. There's a reason for that, right? You, a lot of people think, and I even been sitting in the airplane when people are saying that this doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't I be taking care of my child first? No, because if you're not safe, how are you going to help the child? Yeah, right. So you got to make sure, as an entrepreneur, that you are safe first. You have to be somewhat selfish, not in a negative sense of the world, mm -hmm. right? Because if you cannot help yourself, how are you going to help your employees? How are you going to help your clients, et cetera, et cetera? So you got to give yourself those means to be successful first and foremost, right? Invest in yourself. And a lot of people, entrepreneurs too, to say, look, I'm the last to get paid. And I, I did that for years myself. But when you challenge the thought, it's a very noble thought, by the way, mm -hmm. right? Altruism, right? I'm going to think of other people before I do. But it's a very dangerous one. Right? You have to challenge that thought and you actually have to build a business where you can afford to pay yourself first because if you don't, you're in trouble. Yeah. And I love that because on my personal side, like last 2020 was a hard year for me. I burnt out after like, like very six years of burning the candle at both ends, trying to be an entrepreneur or trying to figure stuff out personally. And 2020 gave me that ability to finally say, no, putting myself first is very important because if not, I have nothing to give. So I can't help anybody. 100%. So I started looking at, okay, how can I use the skills that I've learned to help other people? So I'm slowly starting a podcasting business to help business owners get their message out. Cause I know how powerful podcasting is because you're in front of your ideal client because your ideal client will listen to your podcast. So if you're a handyman, you know, you can talk about simple, fi uh, simple fixes to your business or to the house, but also they can, you're someone who listens can go, well, you know what? He's telling me how simple it is, but I can get him to do it for me. Yeah. So it's not, it's not mystif it's demystifying 
all the 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 handyman tool not just handymans but the the um uh, what is it? The not you're democratizing knowledge, right? No yeah. matter what you're talking about, it's right? yeah, it's allowing everybody demystifying everything for people, as you said, democratizing everything, and I I really love that because it's making everything fair for everybody. So now people understand why a plumber is going to charge you three hundred dollars to show up at two o'clock in the morning when you have an emergency, you know? And so people are like, oh, that makes sense now. Before it was like, why, you, why, why should I pay you to come to my house? Your job is to fix my plumbing, fix my plumbing, you know? Now it's like, well, I have to do all this. And it's like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. That's why you- And it, it took him five minutes to do it, but it doesn't take into consideration the 20 years of trial and error you went through an experience to actually Figure be efficient, yeah. be in the flow and solve a problem in five minutes that would take us a month. Yeah, that's exactly it. So. I love that podcasting does it a little quicker than reading a book on it because the book you're, you're stuck doing it and it takes time. I love reading physical books. Like if it's an entertainment book, physical is the best for me, like sci-fi or something. But if it's an uh, education, like a biography or uh, something on marketing or learning, digital is so much easier because I can do it on like multiple platforms. So I don't have to always bring the book with me. So I love makes that. sense. I love that democratization that you were saying, the spreading of knowledge, with you being able to tell tell uh, startups how to pitch properly to an angel investor because you're like, I'm I'm an angel investor myself. Pitch to me, we'll get you your. We can finite it to the perfection. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, very good point. I mean, what we're actually in the process of doing right now is we're actually going through the pro as part of the incubation process there is this element of uh, education of teaching people how to pitch themselves, right? So a lot of times, I mean, you, you, you find out very, very quickly if a startup is capable of doing that or not by asking him some salient questions left and right and see how long he actually talks to express a simple unit, unit of knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. So if you ask someone, put them on the spot and say, hey, the elevator pitch or shorter in one sentence, what it is, you do, what is it that you do? And a lot of people start struggling, right? But that's a learned skill. And actually when you do that, it allows you to conceptualize much better in your own mind, become much more efficient at what it is that you're doing. And it goes via communication. If you can't communicate to me or to anyone else, what it is that you're doing in one sentence, you have a problem that you need to resolve and it's not that difficult to resolve it but you have no choice but to resolve it if you want to be successful. You know, so the other, the other thing I'd like to focus on are hook points. So let's say you are in a uh, conference and off the stage, physical conference, off the stage comes the ideal investor that you'd like to have in your business. Mm -hmm. How are you gonna get his attention? What are you gonna tell him, right? How are you gonna hook him within two or three seconds because there's 20 more people waiting to talk to him so that he pays attention to you. It doesn't say, thank you very much, have a nice day right? Yeah. That needs to be taught. That is training. That's repetitive. We actually do drills where I have people around the table. I just, you know, take the mitrailleuse that we say in French, you know, the machine gun and just fire questions in them. And you have to learn how to come back to me like instantly with, with a response. Even if that response doesn't make much sense, give me one. And then we work through the process. So it starts making more and more sense. But you absolutely have to learn how to be a good or great communicator. If that's not what you like to do, you have to have someone in your team who's excellent at that. 
And that person will become invaluable when it comes to actually dealing with the media, dealing with investors, and ultimately investor relations. And so you go through a crowdfunding route, which a lot of startups do, and you acquire 500,000 investors. You don't want to let them out to dry. You have to now communicate them because they're stakeholder in your stakeholders in your business, right? And there's a lot of value behind that if you do it right. You can do a second round, a third round, et cetera, because people they believed in you in the first place to give you 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. And a certain percentage of them are ready and willing to give you 10,000, 25,000, or 50,000. But not if you step back and you just like go back to work and never talk to them again. Yeah. Right. Then you're just going to alienate them. It's, it's so true. It's, I, I see it uh, more and more because there's, I'm in some SaaS groups because I love talking to the entrepreneurs and these people. And some of them, when they try and pitch me to come on my show, it's so long, the pitch. And it's like, uh, thank you for telling me your exact business. But like, this is too long for me to spend 20 minutes trying to read it. Like, give me something in a yeah. short paragraph, you know, what value you're going to bring to my, my, my people, you know, like, so I love working with them, helping them refine that pitch as well, at least for podcasting, or at least I go and pitch them to other podcasts because I know what a podcaster wants as a, as a podcast. Yeah, yeah. As, so imagine, obviously, you are in the long form content business. Mm -hmm. So imagine that frame of mind applied to social media, where you have two seconds to get anybody's attention or you're gone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. It just never happens. So there's so much money being wasted on messaging that doesn't resonate as a result of not crafting the right hook points. So I would recommend to all the listeners here who are in the dating business to first and foremost focus on what those hook points are, consistently work them, refine them, track the different iterations of them. If you're running, let's say, a social media campaign or a, a, a Google PPC campaign, right? You know, use multiple variations, keep working your hook points, because very often all, uh, all the digital marketers are doing are just looking at pure metrics, and they actually tend to forget about the message. Mm -hmm. Because yes, your click rate, your click-through rate can be dramatically higher uh, by using clickbait, for example, yeah. but is it actually giving you what you ultimately want to look for? Even if the conversion is high enough, are you actually converting and acquiring the right type of client that you want to work with for the next five to 10 years, right? So if you use clickbait, the answer is an unequivocal no, right? But if you have your core brand messaging clearly defined and you work your hook points and you say, okay, the best, the best exercises to do, to, to do is, look, I'm looking to acquire a customer here with this campaign. And on the other side, I want that customer to be around with me and still keep buying from me 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. Okay, what would I tell them today that I would be proud of to remind them of five, 10, 15 years from now and say, hey, you remember how we first met? You clicked on a Google ad that said this, right? Instead of saying, hey, John, after two weeks before he's gone, you clicked on clickbait. That's how I got you by mistake, right? I duped you into trusting me. That's not authentic. That's not conducive to a long-term relationship. You know, imagine it's a dating ad and you, and, you, and, you, and you meet your future wife like that, right? And you are deceptive, you know, you're five foot seven, you say you're six foot seven, et cetera, et cetera, right? What, what, whatever it is you're, you're using, trickery to get that conversion, in this case, a dating conversion, mm -hmm. 
ultimately it's bound to fail. It's no different in everyday business. And I, I love how you brought in the dating and showing that it, it learning a skill in one area will be able to be beneficial to ulti, ultimate your whole life. Like if these startups learn how to pitch properly to angels and investors, they'll learn the communication skills necessary to meet new friends or meet their potential wife or partner in the future. So it's very learning one skill in business can be placed anywhere else, as well as learning skills outside of business can be placed into your business. And yeah, and then beyond the conversion is ultimately to become for your ideal investor in this case, to become your advocate. Because every investor that I know, including myself, we all have large networks, right? So if your message resonates with me and if you're authentic and you're living by that message day to day, I'm going to let every one of my investors know about you. So your acquisition costs now become zero. You may have acquired me and by way of acquiring me, you're going to get five, 15 guys as investors in your company as well. A whole different ballgame. I see the same thing in podcasting or in any fandom. Your core thousand fans or listeners, those are your diehards. Those are the people that will tell everybody about your podcast. Well, anything you say, they'll do. They'll like your messages. They'll share your messages. They'll rate. They'll do everything. So like like you said, you as long as you're authentic in your in your pitch and that to your investors, the investor will get all the other investors you need because they want to see you succeed because you've helped them and they want to help their friends. You know, we've, I think as digital marketers, we've all made this mistake before where we believe that we have to take on a different persona. We have to be actors, mm-hmm. right? If I look back over the last 25 years, it was one of my personal fundamental mistakes that I made where I thought I would have to wear 25 different hats to get my message across to the right type of people. And it's exactly the opposite, right? Today, everything that we do, for example, with Unicorn is 100% built around authenticity, right? So for example, people won't see this unless we broadcast it, but here's my business card, right? You see it's rustic because we're in a small town with a lot of wood, right? In the middle of the woods. You know, that's what I call authenticity. Try to be yourself, not someone else right? Uh, Don't be an actor, right? Uh, The more you come across as yourself, the more you sell yourself, especially in these times of COVID, people seek human connection, whether they agree with you or whether they disagree with you. I be usually, I'm very, very blunt about many, many topics. And I guess as you get older, some of you will realize, you know, your tolerance for not being so and being politically correct, so kind, of, kind of like leave it behind because you just end up not caring anymore. And as a result of, of behaving like this, I've actually attracted more and more people, including people who don't have the same line of thinking, who actually believe in something completely opposite. So you know what, Dom, I respect what you just said. I radically, dramatically disagree. Here's the reason why. But I actually commend you for actually speaking your mind and not deviating from your core, right? It, it's it's so true. I've I've seen that too, uh, and, and most of some of my good friends they may be politically, ideologically different than mine, but because they they stick to their guns and they don't waver, I'm able to be f- like be friends with them. I, we don't t- talk politics or we don't talk things we disagree with, but we we have a respect, and I think that's been lacking because a lot of people have been playing that charlatan, and have been the snake oil salesman as well. 
And so a lot of people are now looking for the authenticity uh, that we had pre-social media, pre-the internet age. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people try to actually find that and it takes a little bit of time, right? So I, I see, I see, especially younger people struggling with finding their voice, finding their authenticity. And there are a few hacks to actually find it. And the most important one in my mind is try to drill down on what's your passion. Like, is there an ideal, an ideal that you may even die for, willing to be die for, die for right? Forget about everything else. That, that takes away all the money, everything else, right? What really matters to you? What drives you, right? What do you get up for in the morning, right? If you had a rough night, you couldn't sleep, what would we still get up at 7 a.m. to do and be happy about it, right? Find your inner voice because that's the one that's going to be guiding you. Otherwise, you're always going to be sitting on the fence trying to be someone you are not. And it's just going to ruin your life, right? If you really want to grow as a person, as a human being, as a businessman, quickly, efficiently figure out what you're not and what you actually are, right? So if you that translates very well into a business as well. When I, for example, ask reps and I explain to them, look, today, when people are searching online, they're not going, they're not telling you, go search for it online. They go, go Google it. Google's become a verb. Mm -hmm. What verb do you want to be with your business, right? If you're going to be in a dictionary sometime and anticipate becoming incredibly successful five to 10 years from now, what verb will people look up? in order to find what your business does. So that, those are some interesting mind techniques that put you into the right mode and that will actually get you to where you want to be. That's, that's more value than I thought I was going to get. I wanted to ask you more questions about your ownership of a rugby team, but... <laughs> Good. You know, I mean, that was right down the same thing, right? So interesting question because I grew up, you know, I'm in France. So we always had anywhere from a relatively good rugby team to a very, very good one, right? Yeah. Uh, typically always top five ranked. I think we're number three in the world right now uh, with a young generation coming up that's very strong. But uh, when I moved back to France uh, two and a half years ago, my CPA was the president of the rugby team and a former player for the national French national team. So quickly asked me, Hey, I see the rugby ball on his desk. Right. And all rugby memorabilia all over his walls and whatnot. And he goes, you like rugby? I'm like, yeah, sure. I like it. Uh, why? <laughs> well, he's telling me more about thing. You know, I'm the president of the rugby team, et cetera, et cetera. A month later, I'm a small sponsor like many of the rugby team. It's kind of like my way in, you know, networking, you know, I get it. You know, this is rugby is, is a religion down here. Yeah. The following year, I, I assist, I go to the trainings, I go to the uh, Sunday games, et cetera, et cetera. I become the largest sponsor of the team. And then uh, in March, so we're talking about 10 months ago, he comes and sees me and says, look, we have some issues because as a result of COVID, you know, we get all the expenses and we get no more revenues. Would you be interested in coming in at the larger level to help save the team? Like, look, uh, let me think about it. Give me a week. I came back to him 40 hours later. I said one of two things. Either I help you, but it's full hands-on because what you're asking me to do goes beyond just a donation. It's, yeah. it's now a business decision, right? Where I invest not only money, but a 
tremendous amount of time and talent from my team, or I'm just not interested, right? So my offer is I wanted by the team. And the team's been around since 1903. I call it the 117-year-old startup, <laughs> right? With one caveat is I'd much rather start clean slate with a brand new startup than inheriting 117 years worth of hair and some people trying to justify their bad decisions and their mismanagement by the fact that they have been doing it for a very long time, mm-hmm. right? So we went for, the, you know, we cleaned out everything, you know, for those of you who want to see it, by the way, sarlatrugby.com, S-A-R-L-A-T, rugby.com is the English site, sarlatrugby.fr is the French version. Complete rebranding from soup to nuts, brand new logo, great, great design, building out e-stores, brand new equipment, uh, brand new sponsorships uh, from soup to nuts. As we did this, we started getting inquiries from all of the rugby teams first. Oh my God, it's unbelievable. For example, we went from 2,000 fans on Facebook to we just crossed 50,000. Congratulations. Thank you. All organic. Uh, you know, by way of actually producing a lot of quality content, having an internal video team, uh, dedicated photographer, et cetera, et cetera, and just building this brand. But now we're actually in the background building a sports tech company because the problem we have identified on a one-off basis with this team exists in 5,500 other rugby teams in France and tens of thousands of rugby and non-rugby teams all over Europe and all over the world. It's called amateur sports. Mm -hmm. The amateur sports field is primarily driven by volunteers who are not underpaid. They're not paid at all. And by way of not getting paid, show up whenever the heck they want. They're very moody. You look at one of them the wrong way. He hasn't even said anything. He's never going to come back and say, hey, Dom looked at me the wrong way. I'm not coming anymore. Right? I mean... Bizarre, right? Uh, otherworldly in some in some states. So we basically came in with our team and completely cleaned out the weeds, uh, and basically went the proof of concept during COVID on the sponsorship sponsorship side. With no games going on, we quintupled revenue. Jesus. With no sponsorship, with no with no games being played, so. The other thing is I used to produce a travel show, so I have a lot of connections in the broadcast business. And I contact some of my uh, my old friends in that space and say, look, I want to be able to broadcast our rugby, our rugby games and our rugby content on stations in the US, in Canada, in South America, et cetera, et cetera. I said, what well, sounds great? You know, what does it look like? Do you have some trailers? Do you have some teasers? Well, here is here are a few. And then I found something very interesting, especially in the US. Some program directors, because when you go to a TV station and you want to offer them content, the program director makes the decision as to whether or not to take it on. Mm-hmm. Some of them told us, Dom, you wouldn't believe how many people are telling us every single day. They no longer want to watch NFL or NBA because they basically believe that the athletes have become politicians and are no longer athletes for good or right reason, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's interesting. For me, that that's opportunity, right? Well, how open, Mr. Program Director, are you to actually carrying a new sport, rugby? For those of you who do not rugby, do not know rugby, think of American football without protection. Yeah, right. I, I love Ameri- I love rugby because it's 
I, I love the physicality of it. It's it goes back to the pure joy of a game, especially Glad, amateur. Glad later authenticity, right? You got all of that uh, without the egos, because mm. the egos are all out the door, right? So that's really what attracted me to the sport as well. And then they said, look, if you can produce consistently that level of content for us, we will carry it under one condition. And that one condition is you provide us tutorial content because the majority of our viewers do not understand the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. That for me as well, immediately rang opportunity because now I can bring them tutorial. And by way of tutorial, they learn about our team, Salah Rugby, and they automatically become fans. So we've already tested this and it works like a charm, right? People who have been following American football, other contact sports, now they see rugby content, we explain to them the rules of the game and then our brand is everywhere. And then you go on Facebook, you just have, you know, two, three, 400 more people who follow you on Facebook. Yeah. So it's been very interesting. So we actually, what we're working on right now is a way to platformize everything we've built by hand, right? on the branding side, on the marketing side, the social media side, sponsorship side, et cetera, putting all this together into one comprehensive package that we will deliver as a platform, subscription-based platform, like a SaaS-based business model to all of the other amateur clubs, rugby and non-rugby. We get contacted by handball clubs, taekwondo, badminton. They all have the same problems, right? And then say, okay, this is the Cadillac. This is what you can run with. This is the framework in which you can operate. Okay. Subscription-based model. We actually drive a lot of activity through that as well. And then the big part of it is going to be ref share where you get the line share, you the club, right? And we actually act as the digital agency for it. That's, that's amazing how one little sponsorship spawned a whole new mm-hmm. industry pretty much for you that you weren't even and- looking for. Look, and no one, what, what shocked me is that no one is really paying attention to the industry because if you're looking at, I mean, obviously influencer marketing is huge, but yeah. typically when you, when you see a shop, like a marketing agency that works with influencers, they immediately go after the big hits, 1 million followers and up, completely leaving by the wayside, the small rugby teams that have two to 5,000 fans that are completely being unaddressed but that buy-in at that level is bar none. They will yeah. do anything. That's the, right. So we see so many, for example, so many of these smaller clubs that have a crappy logo that was designed, you'd think, in the 14th century, not in the 19th century, that, that you would never wear, right? It's yeah. just ugly as can possibly be. Uh, they have a website that looks like uh, MySpace in 1995 or worse, you know, with the snowflakes coming down and uh, the the Christmas lights blinking. Uh, So, you know, this is what we're looking to disrupt, right? But if you actually aggregate all of these hardcore fans, so if you took, for example, 50 of these clubs and they have on average two, 3,000 hardcore fans on Facebook, because that's typically the only thing that they have, and even that is badly managed. Now you actually have a base that's equal, equivalent, if not larger, to major teams, but with much higher buy-in, much higher engagement. Yeah. Right? So now imagine if you do this at scale. If you ultimately can bring together across sports boundaries and build this platform with super high engagement and manage the data behind that, you know, the fan data, there's a number of ways you can monetize that. And that's what we're looking to do. That's 
oh my god i i love every single thing you you said that's that's amazing it's it's just incredible how you're you're pretty much saying look you can do this yourself go to your local sports team your city team even and provide them this value because our generation has grown up with the internet so we know how to use it 100%. other generations so use those skills monetize those skills for a few dollars here help a team out and you know you they can see the rev the change and they can put you in touch with other people you know there's a, there's a thin line between uh, what we're looking to do right now in the sports space with any nonprofit, any association so in french we call them, a nonprofit is called an association a law of 1901 that was created to make it simple for people like-minded people to join together and launch a nonprofit. You can do it in an hour, right? Uh, and they're all over the world. So if you, for example, you know, want to help animals, let's say you're an entrepreneur, you're a diehard dog fan, cat fan, whatever fan. If you actually look at that market, it's all driven by very passionate people, but that tend to not be specialists in fundraising, in branding, in digital marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And if you build a solution for them, you're never going to run out of people to work with. They will be your biggest ambassadors because anything you do is better than what they're currently doing. They desperately need to help. And because you're making it simple, you're eliminating those friction points. If you look at, for example, go anywhere in the world and let's, let's, let's all go to a pet shelter, a small pet shelter in our, in our, Local you know, in, in our little town and look at their website and see how many clicks it takes to go from the homepage to actually check out and give them a donation. It's almost like they're going out of their way to make it as difficult as possible to donate to them, right? Mm -hmm. That's one example. Or in terms of actually being able to come up with creative incremental fundraising strategies, right? So help a hundred of those, help a thousand of those. And by way of that, you charge them because you're actually rendering a service mm -hmm. that provides a lot more value to them than what you're asking for in compensation charge a commission, right? For example, for every $100 that you raise for them, you charge $8 or $10, right? It's $100 that would have never brought in. They'd be more than happy to pay you that. Yeah. And if you can scale that, you have a real business. You can do it the same thing in arts. You can do it in, in, in health. You can do it in, 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 any, in any domain. And what's great is there's so many tools being developed. I have I just got a, a tool recently that uh, helps YouTubers um, uh, uh, efficiently get their tags, the title, and the description properly so that they can get more engagement on their videos and get drive more sales or traffic to where they need to. So it's I've already started using it for one or two friends of mine, and they're seeing an, an increase dramatically of their, their stuff. So there are tools already built to help you start. And then you can use those to build these businesses and help build those businesses. With, without a doubt. I'm not saying you need to build something from scratch and, 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 and break it, right? So if you, because there's so much stuff already on the market, right? Mm -hmm. If you're looking at a news business today, right? it's like drinking out of a fire hose, right? The last thing we need to do is create more news. What we really need to do is we need to create better filters. We need yeah. better aggregators and better curators. We need museum type of curators who basically say, okay, come into my museum. This is what I think you should be looking looking at first, this second. But like in every museum, 
most of the inventory, 80% of the inventory is in the basement, yeah. right? And then they circulate, they put that piece back on the shelf, they put it back in the basement, replace it with another one, because otherwise the human mind cannot grasp what's really, really going on, right? And the news, the, the news business is, is, is the worst, the biggest culprit when it comes to that. So think of you know, a business owner, if you wanna do a B2B service, don't assume the business owner knows about all this, right? Bring all those tools, aggregate all those tools, and that becomes your own mini platform, right? As you mentioned with the tool of YouTube that I'm not even familiar with, that I'm actually interested in. More than happy to so, tell you about it off air. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> that you know that sounds amazing right we do a ton of youtube content and i didn't know about that so that's value incremental value to me now imagine with what we all do together if we actually all put our minds together to help a struggling business that problem could be solved within five minutes yeah. right so i see this for example uh very often with developers right some of you may call them geeks uh, I've dealt with a lot of them where they tend to somewhat isolate themselves from the rest of the world. And the worst thing, which will make me run, not walk, is when I see the lone wolf thinking, believing, being convinced that he's actually building the best thing since, since mankind, right? Since sliced bread. And he isolates himself in a room and doesn't talk to anyone, right? Number one, have you actually challenged your thought? What is it you're working on? Because in five minutes, I can probably show you that what you're working on has already been built. Mm-hmm. And that big ego check, oh my God, no, 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 nothing has been built like this because I'm the best developer since sliced bread, right? And then you have sometimes this one, two geek team, they work on something, they struggle forever, right? Months go by, right? When you have a real shop, and I know a few of them, for example, in the Ukraine, in Russia, et cetera, they tend to work like that. Uh, in big rooms, Walmart, a Walmart full of developers, right? And they struggle with an engineering problem. Well, they may use Slack at first, post a problem, and all of a sudden they lift their hand. And there's four or five guys that immediately come around. It's like, what are you struggling with? Boom, boom, here's the reason why, boom, done. Sit back down, 10 seconds, problem is solved. On the other side, this lone wolf, he will spend three months on that struggling with it, right? Before he actually goes out and uses you know, a web-based tool to try to resolve the problem because there's just too much pride, right? But with all our, you know, combined knowledge here, if we actually open the juices and we actually say, okay, this is a problem that's affecting, in case in point, COVID is a perfect example. Think think of 20 years ago, how long it would have taken to actually create a vaccine. It would have taken years. Years, five, ten years at the, at the at the very least. And the only thing actually that's still slowing us down today is pure bureaucracy. It's not the technology, mm-hmm. right? We've sequenced the virus much faster than any, any virus ever known to mankind, despite it being a very, very difficult one, right? Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear some stories in the coming years about the actual origin and whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was very, very complicating to de- complicated to decipher, right? Yeah. Man-made or not, right, remains to be seen. I think we're going to see some things that, you know, some interesting things popping up in the next few years about that once the dust has settled. But and technology you know, too, and technology that will be created because I know from COVID, like the sequencing, I know a lot of businesses have switched their business model to make ventilators or like emergency ventilators or PPP, PPE gowns and that 
that they weren't doing it before and they found more efficient ways of doing it and cheaper ways of doing it. So they're also COVID also disrupted that, uh, that business model, yeah. and that industry. And so I love seeing that too. And we're all coming back to what we all should be doing as entrepreneurs is being faced with a problem, having to resolve it. Mm -hmm. And this problem that we've been faced with is bigger than mankind. And it requires the brightest minds, the most passionate people, undivided attention, thousands of hours of expertise, right, to resolve. Yeah. And I think if we overcome this, and I have no question in my mind that we actually will, it will make us more resilient as a group, unite us more, and prepare us for what's next. Yeah, for sure. Um, Dom, we're just over an hour. Uh, I would love to continue talking with you more, but I do have to cut it short. So I'm going to give you five minutes. Um, let us know a bit more detail about Unicorn, uh, Unicorn and everything else you have going up on your yourself. Just give me a second here. You are good to go. It's all yours, sir. Thank you. So for those of you who want to know more about what we do at Unicorn, uh, you can go to unicornincubator.com. That's unicorn with a Q. My last name is German. Einhorn means unicorn in German. Obviously, for those of you who know what a technology unicorn is, you probably you, you know the def definition for a long time. Uh, so we incubate, accelerate startups in the technology space uh, with uh, paying a bit of attention to uh, AI, AR, VR, fintech, educational technologies, recently agritech, and a few more. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Dom Einhorn, that's D-O-M, last name is spelled E-I-N-H-O-R-N. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook. Uh, interestingly enough, in, on October 1, 2, 3, the weekend of Friday through Sunday, uh, I'm inviting Phil and uh, all of you want to come along to a beautiful trip to France for the Startup Super Cup. Uh, as we speak in the background, uh, my engineers are launching the website, uh, startupsupercup.com. It will be a marquee tech investing event that will unite uh, 1,000 plus angel investors, 100 plus media, including podcasters like Phil. Uh, what else? We have a 80 or 80 funds showing up, uh, potentially the next president of South Africa and a few other luminaries. Uh, Juliette Foster, former BBC presenter, will uh, be hosting the roundtables at the event. So a star-studded lineup of speakers uh, in a confined environment, small town where people cannot run away from you and go somewhere else. You'll definitely find, find the people you want to talk to. Again, it's October 1, 2, 3 of 2001. For more information, go to startupsupercup.com. And then uh, angel investors, I get contacted by uh, quite a few of them that want to work with us to contact me directly as well. Some very interesting projects uh, we're bringing on in, into, the, uh, into the incubator. One of the new companies we're grooming is a company called Ochi. That's O-C-H-Y, which was founded by two former professional athletes, husband and wife. Uh, wife is French, husband is Jamaican, which basically means he runs faster than she does. <laughs> And uh, they have uh, devised a incredible piece of technology, AI-based, that analyzes a short video of you running, 10 to 15, vid 10 to 15 second video, Con analyzes the uh, connecting points between the position of your head, your, your chin, your elbows, your shoulders, your knees, et cetera, et cetera, and does two things. Number one, significant improvement in performance. There are 650 million 
competitive runners in this world that run anywhere from the 50 meter dash all the way to the ultra marathons. And number two, a significant reduction in injuries, which is obviously huge because most of the injuries in the running space are due to, to bad posture. So we have a number of uh, startups we're bringing in that we're vetting, uh, you know, internal criteria we're vetting them through. Uh, the first thing we look at when we bring in a startup as well is how quickly can we add value to what they're doing already without having to take over their business, right? Mm -hmm. They are in the driver's seat. They will run their business. We basically give them all the framework from legal to accounting to marketing acceleration to be successful. And that's pretty much our story. That's, that's amazing. And thank you so much for the, the invitation. I'm definitely going to be attending. Um, I'm going to make sure that I have the whole, whole time off so that I can get as much value from uh, the event. As yeah, so for the, me the media, media, including podcasters, we were going to be the cultural center, which is literally 100 yards behind me, where I'm talking to you from. Uh, and there will be the ground floor will be reserved. There will be booths there to do podcasts, to grab the people. You know, again, it's very self-contained. Uh, you can talk to angel investors. You can talk to business angel networks, people leading them. You can talk to politicians that are very much uh, entrenched in the startup ecosystem, especially in the French tech startup ecosystem. Uh, we have uh, senators, uh, ministers. I mean, they're, you're never, you probably produce, you know, 200 hours of, uh, yeah. of content. So again, Dom, thank you very much. Uh, all the show notes will have all the links to his accelerated, his, his businesses, plus the, the, I'm sorry, I was so stunned by the offer. I forgot the name of the event that's going on in October. I the startup that. super cup. The startup super cup will be in the show notes. It's probably going to be the top one. I'm going to make sure it's the top one. Cause it's an invitation to uh, podcaster. So please, if you're interested, go, to, go check it out, sign up. Um, Dom, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Um, when I come over, thank you again for the invitation. Sure. And, and Dom's proven that if you invest in yourself and invest in others, you can become a startup incubator if you want, um, a founder of that, or you can do whatever you want. So again, Dom, thank you so much for your, uh, your amazing message. Thanks for having me, Phil. Hey guys, um, first of all, I wanna thank Dom for that generous uh, offer that he's giving all podcasters who listen to the episode a chance to be part of the media at the Startup Super Cup. It is going to be an amazing event. I'm looking forward to it. My tickets are booked. My vaccinations are being done so that I can get over to France and have access to not only the companies inside his startup incubator and accelerator, but also the media, other media people there, the other politicians, the celebrities, the guest speakers and all that. This is going to be one of the biggest events in my life that I'm going to be attending and I hope to see you guys there. On even a bigger note, uh, for my company, uh, the Feel Better Inc. production for podcasting or podcast production actually, uh, has teamed up with Dom's company, Unicorn, to create a podcast network for all the companies inside Unicorn, but also for the rugby team and other projects and other clients that he has. So I'm looking forward to that. Stay tuned to uh, 
hear more about that in later episodes, but also if you're connected to me on Facebook, you'll definitely see it there. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for listening to season two of Investing Yourself, the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. Season three is probably going to be rolling out within a week of this episode. So stay tuned to that. We have some amazing guests. But again, thank you very much to Dom Einhorn, all my guests in season two, and to you, the listeners. Thank you for keeping this podcast going. And remember, always invest in yourself because you never know what the future can hold.